Is Jesus worth the risk? There's risk in, in everything we do, isn't there? Every time we walk out of the door, there's, there's risk. Every time we cross the road, there's risk. Every time we open our mouth, there's risk. For me, usually quite a big risk. Um, for you, maybe, maybe a bit smaller. But um, just everything we do, bungee jumping, there's a risk. Um, coming to church, maybe, um, for some of you, feels like a bit of a risk too. There's risk in everything we do. Big, big risks, little risks. How confident are you that Jesus is really worth the risk of becoming a Christian? Following Jesus this week, literally this coming week, following Jesus this week is a risk. It can cost you so many things. It can cost you time and it can cost you money. This week, can you trust Jesus with your calendar or with your bank balance? Following Jesus in general, or perhaps even this week, could risk your personal beliefs, the way that you see the world. Maybe, maybe you're just thinking, well, can I, can I really trust Jesus with my worldview? What if that has to change? Maybe, maybe you feel like you're holding back from identifying yourself as a Christian because of fear of being labelled negatively by family and friends, just labelled as weird or labelled as irrelevant. So your comfort and your security, your identity and reputation, and even your health can be put at risk by following Jesus. See, for some people in the world, we here at Trinity, we're part of a global movement of Christians, millions, billions of Christians, brothers and sisters around the world. And for many of them this week, there's a real danger of violence or even death for them being a Christian this week. That, that's what they risk. If following Jesus is costly, is Jesus worth the risk? Now you're here, you can hear me, and maybe you're not a Christian, and you are just the, the opposite, the very opposite of convinced that Jesus is worth any kind of risk. But you're here, and we're really glad you are. I wonder if you'll keep listening Maybe you'll discover something today about Jesus that will change everything for you. Others of you, you are Christians and you're here, but in this moment, deep down, right now, you're not really sure about Jesus being worth it. And that's totally fine too. Like we're not a church at Trinity that, that kind of forces everyone to be sorted. So you can, you can drop the act. You don't need to pretend you're, you're in a completely safe place to be struggling with those kind of things. But maybe you're here and you sense that the, that not sureness about Jesus is not a good thing. Maybe you think, yeah, I'm not really convinced properly about Jesus and that makes me feel like half-hearted about him. Well, let me tell you two things. One thing is that I guarantee, if that's you, you're not the only one that feels like that in this room. And the second thing is that, is Jesus worth the risk has been a question, has been an issue for really for 2,000 years. The 12 disciples, the guys who Jesus chose to mentor, to, to spend his, his, his ministry with, had exactly the same doubts. Maybe Jesus isn't really worth it. Like the disciples... The disciples, they thought that. So it's really not just you. 
The event that we're looking at here in Luke chapter 9 began to transform those disciples' doubts. And I think it will transform you and give you a pathway out of uncertainty into assurance, into confidence, into into a full-hearted following of Jesus. So we're in this series, near the end of this series, called Mentored by the Master. And we've been going through these, these scenes, these events in Luke's Gospel, little bit by little bit. And one of the high points of really the whole of Luke's biography of Jesus, we saw last week. Um, it's, it's the point at which Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. So after two and a half years or so of, of, of being together, of, of, of walking, of mentoring, of being taught and shown things, Jesus goes, okay, who do you, who do you think I am? And Peter aces it. Absolutely aces it. He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the, the Christ, God's King, God's chosen one. You're, you're the great rescuer. And it is this kind of culmination of two and a half years of being mentored by Jesus. His identity is, is, is central to the whole story. And so Jesus, at this point, steps off the high point to explain that his mission as Messiah is the cross. He says, he says that he's going to soon suffer many things. He says he's going to be rejected by the religious elite, which I think, when you think about it, it's just a bit weird for God's Messiah, God's King, to say that he's going to suffer. And even the religious elite are going to ignore him and, and reject him. He says he's going to be killed, and on the third day, rise again. When he keeps going, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, they need to take up their cross every day. God's Messiah came for the cross. God's Messiah came to give his life. And following him means the same. And it's really costly. Following Jesus is costly. We learned last week that suffering comes before glory. And that's true of Jesus and he says it's true of his followers too. Doesn't sound very fun. Is Jesus worth the risk? The disciples at that point were the opposite of convinced. Maybe, maybe like you are feeling now, just the opposite of convinced that Jesus is worth those kind of risks. They felt overwhelmed and confused and disappointed and shocked and angry and fearful so a week later, Jesus takes his three core group of disciples up a mountain to pray. So this is where we jump in, in Luke 9, verse 28. You've got Peter, and you've got John, and you've got James, and they're going up a mountain with Jesus to pray. Look at verse 29. So about eight days after these things, so about a week later, uh, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James, and went at the matter to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. A bit weird. Now, this scene is often called the transfiguration, which is a quite a fun word. I'd recommend when you go home, standing in front of the mirror and saying transfiguration. I think it's probably the word that I know that has the most syllables. Um, and that I never get to use apart from today. So, transfiguration. There we go. Sounds good. All it means 
is kind of transformation. Um, it just means transformation. It just kind of means uh, a change in appearance. So Jesus and transfiguration, it means his appearance was changed as described in that passage. And yeah, like, you know, I said earlier that, 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 that this event, this transfiguration event will change you, will transform you. Well, it starts with Jesus. Because that bright, dazzling whiteness of Jesus, it wasn't a spotlight on him. But it was actually a dazzling brightness from him. That's really important. It's described later on in this, in this scene as Jesus' glory. And that glimpse of the kind of shiny, bright glory, it was that glimpse that began to give assurance to those three disciples. It was that sneak preview, if I can put it like that, that sneak preview of Jesus' glory visibly shining out that even changed his clothes, changed his face, changed his hair, changed his clothes, bright and shining. It was that sneak preview that began to give these disciples assurance and confidence in who Jesus was. Like imagine the conversation, maybe as they were chatting, as they were going up the mountain with Jesus. Okay, lads, we, we think that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So um, that's good. I think we got that question right. But what do you make of all this stuff about him suffering and being killed like that doesn't sound like something the messiah would would do does it really well no i was thinking that too um and yeah like what about all that stuff about about following him with our own cross and like risking our reputation for him and 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 all all our comfort and and like what is that about why would why would god's king expect his followers to do that that's just weird And then on the mountain, the veil that is covering Jesus' heavenly glory sort of twitches open a little bit. So I wonder if you've done this in the morning. Maybe you did this this morning. You're not quite sure if it's morning yet or you're not quite sure if it's sunny or anything outside. So you kind of flick the edge of the curtain just away from the window just to kind of have a little check. And then suddenly the sun comes through and like blinds and pierces your eyeballs. I noticed a few of you... I like that with this, with the sun coming through the window. You just kind of, just peek the curtain open and the sun just kind of comes and blinds you. Um, that's kind of similar to what happened, just this veil, this, this, this kind of glimpse of Jesus' true identity shone through, shone out. And that's what the transfiguration shows us. It shows us that, that this glimpse of Jesus' true identity, it, it shows us that we can be really sure that Jesus is the Messiah, But it also shows us that his mission really is the cross. Go back to Luke chapter 9. So Jesus was praying. The appearance of his face altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, everything good happens after behold, doesn't it? Behold, pay attention. Two men were talking with Jesus, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he, which he, Jesus, was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So I don't know if you can picture that scene. On this mountain, Jesus kind of radiating bright white, brilliant whiteness, talking with Moses and Elijah. These two titans, absolute titans of the Old Testament, that were having this conversation with Jesus, with the Messiah, about Jesus' departure, or literally about Jesus' 
Exodus. So you've got Moses. Moses, the guy that's famous for the book of Exodus. Moses, the guy who's really the, one of the founders of Israel. And then the other, other side, you've got Elijah, who's a major prophet, a major prophet who has really taught a lot about the end times. And they're both here talking with Jesus, talking with the Messiah about the Messiah's mission. And one thing that's quite interesting, if you carry on reading through the rest of Luke's gospel, you'll notice quite quickly in the rest of Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10 and onwards that it's almost like something changes after the transfiguration. Jesus is overtly, expressively, intentionally walking towards, focusing on Jerusalem, on the mission that he's about to achieve. See, it's his exodus where he will die to rescue his people is coming and the disciples need to know that it's not an accident. The disciples need to know that his departure, his mission is not a defeat. And the problem is, is that the disciples were sleeping. Again, if you read through all of the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll find that they sleep at quite important moments. Um, and I mean, they eventually woke up, so we'll, we'll, kind of, we'll give them some credit. They didn't sleep through the whole thing, but they woke up, they saw Jesus in his glory, they saw him talking to these two men, and I think Peter didn't know what to do with himself. And I get that, I don't want to criticise him too much, you know, if you sort of wake up with a start and there's this massive bright glory shining uh, from your friend and your mentor and he's talking to two guys, I, I don't think I'd know what to do either. He knew something important was happening. And I think he wanted this moment to last. Have a look at verse 33. I wonder how you would have reacted in this situation. He says this, uh, the, 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 the men, so Moses and Elijah, were just starting to leave the conversation. So Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Okay, something important's happening. I, I get that. It's good that we're here. So let's make three tents one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I want to know immediately how Peter knew it was Moses and Elijah. <clears throat> like, we have lanyards in Trinity Chippenham. You'll spot them, and they have people's names. Like, were they wearing Moses and Elijah lanyards? I don't know. Probably not. Um, did you just recognize them from what they're... I, my guess is, or my, my imagination is, that Jesus might have just introduced them. Ah, oh, guys, you're awake. Let me introduce to you Moses and Elijah. That, that's how I kind of imagine it. Um, it's not that important an issue, but that was one question I thought, how does he know it's Moses and Elijah? But the other thing I want to know is, what did he think that those tents would accomplish? Or kind of little shelters. It's not necessarily a tent like, like we have in mind with camping. Um, like what was in his head? What was he thinking? Maybe some people think that he was thinking about a famous Old Testament feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, and that's what he was thinking on a mountain with Moses and Elijah, there's glory, let's, let's do this feast thing. Maybe he was thinking that. I just wonder if he was just thinking about like, keeping this mountain moment lasting. And I wonder if he was just thinking, well, I don't want them to go, so I'll make them these little shelters so they can stay and they can rest and we can keep talking. He wanted this mountain moment to last. He wanted, I think, to stay there with Jesus in his bright, shining, impressive, powerful glory 
rather than go back down the mountain to the suffering that Jesus had promised him and his followers. He wanted to stay up there and not go down there. But before Peter could even start to build a tent with whatever tents he had in his pockets, a cloud came, covered the whole scene, and they heard a voice. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Beyond any doubt, this was God the Father speaking. If you were to do a very quick read of the Bible, it wouldn't be quick, but you could do like a quickish one and you'd see if there's groups of people, particularly Moses or Elijah, if there's glory and if there's a cloud or smoke on a mountain, God's voice is probably not too far behind. It's God the Father speaking. And it's a pretty rare event, as you can imagine, but it's the second time in Luke's gospel that it's happened. The first time was right near the beginning of Luke's story, Luke's account, and it was when Jesus was baptised. So Jesus went baptised, went down into water, came up, and there was a voice from heaven, from God the Father, and the Father declares to Jesus, he says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved son. I'm pleased with you. I love you. You're my son. Now here on the mountain, a few chapters later, a few years later in Luke chapter 9, it's the same subject. The subject is still the son. The father is still talking about the son. But it was for the disciples' ears. Do you remember what they were thinking? We're not, we're not really convinced that Jesus is really worth the risk. This is my son. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. See, God the Father is saying this. It's Jesus. It's, it's him. It's always him. It's always been him. It always will be him. He goes, he's the one. Jesus is the one. You listen, listen to him. And I hear God, oh, thank you. I hear God saying that to the disciples about Jesus. And it makes me think of all the voices around, um, around me and maybe even in me sometimes that, that, that take me away from listening to Jesus' voice. Voices all around us that, that say that we can't really trust Jesus with, with risking anything. I don't know if you've kind of thought about that. So I wonder if any of these that I'll describe now if any of these ring a bell for you. Maybe you can think of the voice of your bank balance. Now, you're, the voice of your bank balance tells you that you're more secure the bigger the number. So don't risk giving anything if you're not sure that you'll get it back. It's quite a loud voice in my life. Your job has a voice and your job can tell you that you're more comfortable the higher in your job you are. So don't risk anything that might lose you a promotion or might lose you a job. Just, 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 just don't risk any of that. That's quite a loud voice too. Your pride is a loud voice. My pride is a loud voice. I think your pride can tell you that you don't really need Jesus, do you? Like you're not, you're not that bad anyway. Like, why would you want to rely on someone else for anything? 
And don't risk being humble. Don't risk having anything to do with Jesus. That's, that can be quite a loud voice. Your reputation, anyone's reputation has a loud voice. Your reputation tells you that you're more important the more people like and subscribe. Your reputation is a loud voice that tells you you're more accepted the more people look at you, smile at you, are with you, approve of you, whatever. So don't risk being rejected. Don't do anything that risks someone not liking you. Don't do anything that risks you looking weird or losing respect. So what do we do with those voices? Sometimes all of those voices come all the same time, don't they? We stay silent, I think. All these voices come to us and we just stay silent. We, we, we step away from following Jesus. We step back from any, anything that feels risky for following Jesus. But the thing in Luke chapter 9 is that it's Jesus that is your pathway out of that uncertainty and fear into, into assurance. He is the voice. He is the dependable voice that will melt the fear of all the risks to your comfort and security. The Father pours his love and affection and goodness onto and into his son, Jesus. Jesus is really, really is the mighty Messiah, the great rescuer. So why do I think that I can go through a day for my life without him, without trusting him? Why do we think we can go through even a few hours without listening to him about his love for us? Why do we think we can go through a day without listening to him and why he died for you? That's what the transfiguration tells us. It tells us we can have confidence about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, I don't know, obviously, what risks that you'll face this week for following Jesus. I know, I'm pretty sure that you will face some risks for following Jesus this week. Maybe, maybe you're going to risk your bank balance for following Jesus because your money priorities need to change a little bit. Well, Luke 9, the transfiguration tells us that you can be confident in Jesus and you can trust Jesus even with your bank balance. Even to give away money to people in need where you don't know if you're going to get it back. You can trust him with that. Maybe you've been praying for an opportunity to, to talk about Jesus at work or with neighbours <clears throat> or at the school gates. And this week, this is the week that it's finally going to happen. The opportunity is going to come. And in that moment, you'll face the risk of losing your reputation as the quiet one or the nice one or whatever you want your reputation or you think your reputation is. When there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus, <clears throat> you'll risk your reputation to talk about him. But Luke chapter 9, the transfiguration tells us that you can be confident in him. You can trust in his love for you. And you can trust that that love is bigger and stronger and better than anyone else's approval. See, in the face of risk and cost, you can know in your heart that Jesus really is worth it. He's worth Whatever risk you face this week, up to and including risking your life, 
And I said, for some people in this world, they will face that risk. And they will need to have in their heart, is Jesus worth dying for? Literally. For you, it's going to be maybe a different question. Is Jesus worth giving this money away when I'm not sure if I'm going to get it back? Is Jesus worth risking being seen as stupid in this conversation as I tell someone I'm a Christian? Is Jesus worth whatever risk you come up against? So this week, remember the transfiguration. Remember that there is a human on the throne of heaven, Jesus, God's son. And he looks like he did in Luke chapter nine. See, the three disciples were given just a glimpse of Jesus' glory, that kind of sneak preview, you know, the, the, the corner of the curtain just opening up. Just a little preview of what Jesus looks like now, permanently, for all in heaven to see and worship forever. See, today and forever, he looks like Luke chapter 9. For today and forever, he is dazzlingly bright, except now he has wounds. He has wounds. He has the wounds of the cross. There's a, a, a word, a, a, a sentence in a song that we're going to sing later. It says this, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. That's the kind of Messiah Jesus is. That's the kind of Jesus you have. That's the kind of Jesus that you can trust with every risk that you come up to. See, his wounds from the cross haven't disappeared. He still has them. And he will have them forever. His wounds from the cross don't lessen his glory because actually his wounds are his glory. His wounds in his hands and in his side and in his feet, they speak to your wounds. It's it's his wounds that give us confidence. It's his wounds for you that give you assurance that when you risk something to follow him, he will come through for you. His wounds tell you that you're forgiven. His wounds tell you that you can be confident in Jesus, God's Messiah. God the Father promises you that Jesus is worth the risk. So follow him, listen to him. And you'll see his glory in your life too. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the transfiguration. Thank you for speaking to us in Luke chapter 9. When you say, this is my son, listen to him. This is my son, listen to him. Father, help us all to listen to Jesus this week. Whether we're Christians or not, Father, I pray that that you would bring to mind words of Jesus about how much he loves us, what he has done for us. We thank you, Father, that you love us and that you sent Jesus and that he died for us. And help us to take risks, to risk reputation, to risk comfort. Help us to take those risks for you and with you. And we thank you that we can be confident that you love us.